So back then, were you restoring them yourself, or should I say on-site then? Yeah, so I started a workshop in my house. As you uh, do. With, uh, <laughs> as you do. Um, with a guy called uh, Glenn Mole, mm. who's a musician. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's a drummer for a band called Howling Bells. Um, okay. And the Howling Bells were supporting Coldplay on a tour many years ago. So that's how I got to know Glenn. No way. And funnily enough, we, we kind of bonded over... So, you know, we were touring together and hanging out together, yeah. um, playing music. And Glenn and I discovered that we both shared an absolute passion for Supermarine Spitfires, you know, the plane. Yeah, okay. Spitfire, the plane, Niche. you know, yeah, not, yeah, the, yeah. not the car. Yeah. <laughs> and so Glenn and I sort of started working together on um, an idea. So I said to Glenn, well, wouldn't it be amazing if we found an old wreck of a Spitfire and restored it and got our... <laughs> Ambitious. Pilot's ambitious. license. <laughs> and, oh, uh, and, 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 then, and then operated and flew the thing, you know. And wow. so, you know, Glenn's great. He's a real can-do kind of Australian. And sure. he was like, yeah, let's do it. <laughs> so we embarked upon this, I'd say probably about a year, a year's worth of research. You into, know, so you really went for it then? You oh, were we like went really for it, going yeah. for it. Yeah, yeah wow. we, we researched all the suppliers, all the people that, that could carry out certain tasks for the restoration of a Spitfire, mm-hmm. because basically what you need to do is you need to find a Spitfire which has crashed, been put in boxes and then stored someplace. So that can, and they're all over the place, right? You, you, I mean, you, you can just eBay those. Well, it turns out they're not all over the place. In fact, <laughs> they're imagine. really hard to find, but we did find a few kind of cases whereby, right. you know, you've literally got a piece of metal with essentially a chassis number on it. Yeah. And, okay. you, and, and you rebuild the whole thing mm. because... So in a way, a lot like classic cars, if you've got the matching numbers from chassis and engine, you can recreate the car. Well, I don't even think the engine is a... I think Matters. you just have to have a, a provable provenance of... From right. Like a, however much original metal that you might be able to find from, a, from <laughs> us. Because you, you just don't find abandoned Spitfires in garages. No. But what's interesting about that is even if you did mm-hmm. find a perfect Spitfire which had sat since the, you know, the late 1940s in a barn, uh-huh. you would probably have to rebuild almost every single aspect of it from scratch because the airframe probably wouldn't pass. So you'd have to right. build new yeah. wings, you'd have to build it anyway. You'd have, you'd to, have basically to rebuild essentially it anyway. build a new plane. So right. anyway, cut a long story short, we start, you know, we started building we started, you know, really drilling down on this, how are we gonna find a Spitfire and, and restore it? Yeah. <laughs> and as we sort of started working out the numbers involved in doing this, it just became astronomical. You know, astronomical. Right. And then, you know, for instance, I think there's one place on the Isle of Wight that can build you a pair of Spitfire wings. Okay. And so, I, think, I mean, that exists then? That's a service? Yeah, there's one company which I think have the um, certification to build them. Wow. And I think they were £800,000 each. Each? Uh, if my memory serves yeah. me correctly. Wow. Um, and then... You know, look, the cost of operate. You know, so so once you've ploughed, yeah, X amount uh, into uh, an unbearable amount of money into the thing, you've got to then operate it, insure it, and fly it. Sure. And I think as as we've all sadly come to realise, these old kind of warbirds are not particularly sure. um, safe things to fly. You know, yeah, even the yeah. ones in the best condition, you know, they're still kind so of. Is it Goodwood who have the largest? When I say largest fleet, I think they've got like two or three Spitfires. Dad, I don't know. I know there's there's a at least one down in Kent where you can go down and actually fly. Really? Because they built, they, they built it into... 
So I think, you know, the, the way that they can operate Spitfires now is, is by doing kind of tourist flights, basically. So they've yeah. turned a few of them into, into two-seaters. So you'll see oh, the kind of the cool. original canopy with kind of like a, um, like a secondary passenger seat behind with a slight dome right. on top of where the fuselage usually is. So they're going for the Zagato double bubble yeah, on it, basically. <laughs> sort of thing, yeah. And I think, you know, that's how they can sort of afford to run them by right. doing, they can justify the cost because they're, mm. you know, they're bringing in a, you know, some income from these things. Yeah, I've seen, I've seen these, <clears throat> these experiences where there's a screenshot of them like recreating the flight over the White Cliffs of Dover, you know, yeah. in the Spitfire. I mean, that must be berserk. I think, you know, when you start really reading about Spitfires and the yeah. pilots that flew them, yeah. you know, they, they all sort of describe the experience of flying a Spitfire as basically just being an extension of your body, you know, so you strap yourself into this thing and if ah. you think it, you kind of go there. Incredible, huh? And of course, with the Rolls-Royce Merlin engine yeah. in front of you, you've got probably the greatest sounding combustion engine ever made. There's nothing, things, I mean, you know, if you're in a place with a Spitfire air show or something yeah. at Goodwood and a Spitfire flies stand out, over they? your head. Just amazing. You things. can hear it a mile off. You know what it is. Yeah. And it just, I don't know, it just gives me a, a, a shiver down yeah. my spine when, you know, when you hear that noise fly over So you. have you yet got in one of these? Have you been for a flight in one? I yet? haven't. And no. to be honest, I can't. I, I'm not sure if I ever will. Really? Because I just Why don't not? trust them. Oh, right. So <laughs> it's, it's more from a, I don't want this to fall out of the sky sort it of thing. It is, yeah. Right. Yeah. Can you imagine what that must have been like to go and dogfight in one of those? Like, let, off we go. Well, they were, they were very, you know. Shoot at each other. Well, not only were they kind of quite, you know, mechanically not the best, mm. even when they were brand new, they were yeah. being piloted by kids that were yeah. sort of 18 years old who'd had, yeah. I think, a handful of hours flight mm -hmm. time before they were sent off into an, an active. And often taking off from like a wet field or something. Yeah. You know, and landing. And landing. Apparently, in a landing wet field. was like really dodgy. Yeah. It was, apparently, it was like, okay, you've made it through the battlefield. Someone's been yeah. shooting at you for the last 12 hours. <laughs> yeah. And now you've got to land this in a field and that might yes. be game over. Yeah. <laughs> not ideal. It was not, not ideal. Cool. Right. So, so that's, how anyway, did you transition so from, so, let's build a Spitfire well, to Well, we didn't go straight cars. from Spitfires into cars. We went from a Spitfire to a Tiger Moth. Okay. Because they were a bit cheaper. Right. To, they were a bit easier to find. They were a bit cheaper to restore. So I bought... Well, only 400 I, I grand bought, a wing. I bought, <laughs> I bought, yeah. So I bought a Tiger Moth project, which needed really? doing. Right. Um, and then Glenn and I decided that the reality was from an engineering certification and skill point of view, we weren't, didn't really Qualified. have the chops <laughs> to build an airplane. Okay. So I sent that Tiger Moth to a Tiger Moth specialist because I'd already bought it. Right. Um, and it was restored beautifully by uh, a specialist. Yeah. Um, wow. And then I sold it and that is actually being, um, and I restored it back to its military. Hey, it, was a, cool. it was a military, an RAF plane. So wow. it was camouflaged with yellow uh, wings underneath oh, it, it's a beautiful thing. Very cool, yeah. Um, and I deliberately didn't go up and fly in that because yeah. I thought if I go and fly in it, I'll probably want, want to, keep, to it. keep it. Yeah. But my dad did. He went up and flew really? in it. Hey, well, that's and cool. um, because he was he was in the navy, right. and he actually learned to fly in a tiger moth. So did he, he so he kind oh, of really my. wanted to go and engage in it. So that tiger moth is, I think, being operated again down in Kent somewhere. Right. Okay. Um, so if you wanted to, you could, but. 
There's something keeping you out of these planes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know. I don't, I've, yeah. yeah. I don't, old planes, old cars is one. If an old car breaks when you're traveling along it, you yeah. can sort of roll to a stop, you know. Yeah, yeah. If, if, yeah, planes are a bit of a slightly plane. different story. No. I went, uh, when I was, I don't know, years ago, I learned to fly gliders. And that was a cool experience. Cool. And I think other than <clears throat> like a wingsuit flight, now, I th it, it, it felt at the time what must be the closest form of human flight because there's no engine. You are literally relying quiet, yeah. on the thermals. So you basically chase the thermal energy, which is rising up from the earth. So yeah. in summer, you're hopping from like field to field because fields, particularly cornfields, have this like something to do with the surface area and the, the amount of um, heat they mm. radiate. Glider pilots go and hunt out these fields and when you're inside this thing it's constantly making this beep right and if it's making like a low beep like a boom that means your glider is going down right and if it's making a boom it means it's going up so okay. when you're feeling for thermals you start to find w which convection current is going up and then you, you sort of corkscrew up and up and up and it goes yeah. like that that's and quite you hop, nice hop, isn't hop, it hop and hop but it's the most surreal <clears throat> feeling because you have no en there's no engine. Mm. And so there's two ways of getting up in, in the air. You can have an aero tow, so you get towed behind like a light aircraft, like a oh, okay. Cessna or something. Yeah. That you typically, unless you're a really good glider pilot, you typically get more airtime off a Cessna because it can take you up higher. higher. And so you'd start higher, basically. Or you have a winch tow. Which is like, like a this. Land Rover or something. Exactly. Which pulls yeah, you right. Up. Well, the, I, I was at a place, I think it was called Seaford, in, outside of Staffordshire somewhere. And um, they had this, I think it was like this diesel powered winch at the end of the, this like grass runway. And some guy at the end would just go, boomf, yeah. press this button and it would just go, drag you along. And then you would pitch the plane, get your own flight and then there was a button or a lever inside this glider where you would have to press it and it would release the latch on the front of the glider to detach you from the rope yes. and the actual plane. And apparently the most dangerous part of it is sometimes it doesn't detach at all and the winch pulls you back down to the ground. So what happens then? You die. Nice. <laughs> it's not so cool. So it's a bit of a moment, isn't it's it? It's a really that, moment. It's like, yeah, and when this when you detach this thing, it makes a hell of a bang. It's like a massive boom, and you think, God, has something gone wrong? You know, yeah. every time. And so the moment of, weirdly, the moment of first flight is actually the moment of relief, because you're like, okay, thanks, this big diesel okay, generator is no longer pulling me towards the yes. floor, you know. So, um, but then after that, I, I found cars and booze. Yes, <laughs> so, okay. so, I yeah. so I stopped flying gliders and ended up in cars but um yeah it's a world i'm still fascinated by and then last year R red bull uh, put me in a air race stunt plane oh you told me yeah dude unbelievable did you feel was it pretty i mean i'm sure it we was pulled, kind of quite uh, i think we pulled just over 6g and my eyes went black i didn't black out but my vision did it was really weird. Yeah. It was like having my eyes closed, but they were definitely open. Well, was that blood draining from your head or going to your head? Yeah, it was a crazy, crazy experience. Um, the agility of them is, is outstanding. I know. An outstanding thing. So that was cool. So who knows? Maybe one day we'll both get back in a plane. But uh, yeah. Never say never. No, absolutely. Um, 
I mean, I did, you know, we, Glenn and I did start doing our um, pilot's license yeah. um, from the Cotswolds airport. So we did a, a week's, the first kind of a week's worth of intensive kind of lessons that we did. And to right. be honest, at the end of it, we were like, that's intense. This is pretty hardcore. Yeah. Because we were being taught by, a, you know, quite an old school ex-RAF military pilot. Right. Wow. So he was... You know, there was no pleasantries about. Really, he was <laughs> what like, was going on. He, he thought he was training his. Yeah, uh, if we were doing something wrong, it was kind of recruits. You'd, you'd know about it. There was no kind of gentle <laughs> no. easing into this thing, and it was all about instrumentation, and right. uh, which is a very military um, uh, sure. yeah, yeah. Ang approach to training. I, you know, I've since learned that actually, that was quite an abnormal way to to get your kind really? of like uh, pilot's license oh, because it's generally a lot more, you know, just a bit more relaxing sure. and a bit, a bit more have a go and f feeling it. But he was kind of like, look at like this clock, look at that one, look at this one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he was quite old school. And right. actually after that week, and also you, you have to get so many books about navigation and radio yeah. commands and uh, Amazing, th there's it? about five books is there really? to get your PPL. Wow. You, there's about five books you have to absorb, basically, and you know you've got a pile of them, you know, yeah. that high in front of you, and uh, it just—it was just too much for me. Yeah, and then you have a written exam, no doubt, and a practical. Yeah, there's, so, so there's, there's, air, there's lots so of tests, time. and then I think you know you've got to realize if you're doing a lot of people do their pilot's license and then realize they've got no real reason to have a pilot's license. Yeah, um, and you've got to keep it up as well. Do you, you have to? refresh it each year each, or something or every every so often right I can't, okay i can't actually remember so wow um, so then you got to cars so 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 we got to cars <laughs> by way of airplanes and um decided that okay we'll buy you know let's buy an e-type i thought you know i love e-types so let's yeah. buy an e-type let's buy a wreck and and pull up our and restore it and um we didn't really realize how much work was involved in restoring a car. I can see a common pattern here. And <laughs> yeah, we have we had more enthusiasm than than, than sure. kind of brains. But you know, so so we bought this E-Type, and we you know we thought we'd have it basically stripped down and rebuilt within to week. perfection within about two weeks. <laughs> so cut a long story short, like mm. I just mentioned, that car has literally just been finished, and, and this that is like was. Nine eight years, years ago. Are you serious? Yeah. Wow. Eight, eight years, ago. years ago. But it is absolutely perfect. I should hope it is. <laughs> Good God. But okay. no, there was there was a lot of distractions along the way because I start, you know, my love for classic cars um, really started when I was a teenager. Uh -huh. Well, growing up, actually, my dad always had um, um, some sports cars around when I was growing up in Scotland. Yeah. He had a Triumph TR3A in the garage all of my life, basically, cool. which yeah. he bought in his 20s. Do you still have that? He still has it. See, yeah. that's cool. Yeah, he still has awesome. that. And he had an MGB uh, and an MG Midget. So I was kind of around old cars forever. Yeah. Um, and when I was a teenager, I think maybe about 14 years old, um, I asked him if I could start stripping down this MGB that had been sitting in front of our house mm. um, forever. And the thing had basically sunk into the ground. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I stripped out, you know, I stripped out the car when I was about 14 mm. and put it all in boxes and the body shell was just, you know, it just was nailed. just completely gone. Yeah. Um, and that car is still in boxes in my dad's garage. Okay, cool. <laughs> because right. I sort of, yeah. you know, finished school and went to university. So I really reconnected with my passion for classic cars, I suppose, when I was about um, 
early 30s, something like that. And we okay. started with the Z-Type with Glenn and we built right. a workshop in my house because I had quite a big garage. Yeah. And we've been, you know, I've been collecting cars and restoring them in there ever since. That's amazing. So the E-Type took so long because I kind of, you know, I, I got impatient with how long it was taking and uh -huh. I bought other cars and I got excited about the new projects that were coming in. And, yeah. Um, so why is it that you decided to bring it literally in-house rather than outsourcing to like, you know, a specialist in E-types or a specialist in Lambos or? Um, because I suppose you could say, because I've got a background in engineering, when I went to university yeah. um, and I met all my bandmates, uh, I was studying mechanical engineering because I've got right. a passion for it. Okay. And I went to university, um, to UCL particularly, uh -huh. because when I went for a tour there, we got taken into a basement of the engineering department and they were working on um, uh, a Jaguar Formula One car. Oh, so you were like, sign me yeah. up. Like, so I was kind of like, okay, I want to come here because yeah, they're brilliant. doing like yeah, yeah. kind of, you know, yeah. really cool awesome actual engineering. Mm. Of course, that was a, that was a kind of a postgraduate thing. Right, okay. And when yeah, I actually yeah. went to university to, to do yeah. my engineering degree, I basically sat in lecture theatres and looked at algebra on... Oh. on uh, on kind of whiteboards, Mate. day in, day out. How disappointing. You know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, was really, it was really quite soul destroying. So when they said um, engineering, it was basically advanced maths. If you go to study engineering at university, yeah. um, you can pretty much guarantee that for the first year, uh -huh. and, and probably most of the entirety of the whole course, you'll be spending most of your time doing advanced maths and applied physics. Seriously. Yeah, and it was kind of, it was a bit too skewed for me. There was not enough hands-on. So you um, wanted to rebuild a race car with a span. I mean, I, what, what <laughs> I probably would have enjoyed doing more than that was actually doing kind of an old-school apprenticeship in an I engineering bet. shop. Yeah, yeah. Where it was actually hands-on building things. That would have been cool. Um, which is wow. sort of sadly lost now, although it is creeping back a little bit. Yeah. Funnily enough, I was walking around Bista Heritage a few <clears throat> days ago, and yeah. they were saying that, you know, their apprentice program's starting to to build because on there there's so many people who still sort of maintain that traditional skill yes. there's a place on there that that still builds i think they build the majority of the radiators for the world's pre-war uh, pre cars yeah it's super niche you know incredibly niche and but you know this is a skill which literally is a dying art unless yeah. you have new blood in so bister i think are trying to promote this this scene and get guys in literally hands-on well look know? there really has to be um there has to be a kind of a renaissance of these skills because yeah. if you have an old ferrari or um, or an old jaguar or and you need an engine rebuilt you know yeah. there's there's not many people that can do a good job of it um, and those people are um guys garage <laughs> yeah yeah guys well garage. you know even yeah. we can't do do some of this kind of specialist jobs but um right but what happens when those skills are gone I said, you know, I who's going to do it? And, you know, you just end up having to, you know, get in a massive waiting list and paying an absolute fortune, fortune for these jobs. For so, yeah, yeah. so, I mean, there's a huge capacity available for people to mm. do engine building still in this country. Yeah. Well, hopefully it doesn't go the way of the Spitfire and, you know, people will be able to, A, afford it and actually maintain things. Well, I think, yeah, I, I think that's the thing. And, you know, running a classic car is a very different proposition from, from running an old warbird, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it is, yeah. Um, but we do need a lot more skills and we need a lot more hands-on engineering. And, mm. um, you know, I hope these apprenticeship schemes that, you know, these initiatives which we're seeing kind of creep in are going to just keep on growing. Yeah, super cool. So let's talk about... 
Well, I'll tell you what, let's talk about your history first, and then I, I want to talk about Road Rat, because I think that links in really nicely with what we've been doing yeah. over the last few uh, months, and also sure. the chat about keeping c cars alive, you know. Okay. Um, <clears throat> so for any of you guys watching, um, Guy just so happens to be a member of a little band called Coldplay. Indeed. That's what I've been going, you must have guys have been rocking out for 20, 20 odd years now? It's over 20 years now. Is it really? Yeah, we, we celebrated our, our sort of 20th birthday a little while ago. Really? That, that's yeah. unreal. 20 years. Yeah, it's, it seems... Because you, you guys still feel really fresh. You know, I don't hear you and think, those old boys. You know, it still feels very... Well, I think, we, I think we've, you know, we've always kind of moved... We've never really had one sound. You know, if you, li if you listen to our first album, Parachutes, it's... You know, it's radically well, different from different. from you know our last album. Yeah, um, and everything in between is kind of an evolution of of that journey. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's twenty years we've been together, and uh, um, it, and it feels at the same time it feels like a lifetime ago, but it also feels like yesterday. It's a very strange kind of warping of time. Yeah. You know, the journey. You know, we've done so much in that in that twenty years, and so much traveling. So you started at uni? Yeah. That's how it started? Yeah. We, what, you were just in, you all, all just happened to be in, in the same class or halls? Well, or we were all studying different subjects at university. Okay. Yeah. Um, Chris was doing, uh, I think, ancient, ancient history. Right. I was doing mechanical engineering. Yeah. yeah. Um, Johnny was doing maths and <laughs> astronomy. Right. And okay. I've got to get that right because I always say maths and astrology, which is <laughs> okay. a different thing. It's a different thing, yeah. Um, and Will was studying anthropology because okay. his, um, um, his parents were archaeologists. Wow. Um, cool. So, you know, vastly different kind Very, of areas of interest. Backgrounds are completely but different. We, but we met because we were all kind of living in the same block when we first went to university, the, the same right. kind of um, um, halls of residence. Don't you find that fascinating that just by pure chance, there was like four dudes in the same halls that just so happened to gel to a degree yeah. that resulted in Coldplay. Well, obviously, it's, massive, you know, it's massively kind of you know, built around that, the fate that we all went to, went to the yeah. university and we all ended up in the same building. But it was quite interesting because we're, it was called Ramsey Hall where, we, um, where right. we first met and that was kind of, we all had a room there each and it was part of the university. Right. Um, and there were actually quite a lot of musicians. Really? And we all kind of... You know, for the first year we were there, we, you know, we spent time playing with different groups of musicians. Okay. Um, you know, just for fun. Yeah. Um, was it so? It was a, a case that everyone's in the, in these halls, and someone would be in the corner playing something, and then exactly would come over and join in. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Exactly. But it it wasn't like a poster on the wall going looking for bandmates. No. No. It was very. It was very. Um, it was. It, we came together quite organically, actually, and we didn't really form our band until after we'd left that that first year of university and kind right. of all moved into different different kind of flats and stuff. Right. So we had quite a, we had quite a solid foundation of friendship yeah. before we you know actually had a, a band together, mm. um, which I think is probably quite an important part of our yeah, journey. Sure. You know, it's a good foundation. Yeah. Um, because of course you know you hear of bands. You know, if you're if you're a singer, you can take out an advert in the back of what, what was the NME magazine, you yeah, know, yeah. which we all read at the time as yeah. musicians. 
um, you know, bassist wanted. And I think <laughs> sure, there's, all, yeah. that's always there's always a little, that, that. there's always a kind of a little bit of kind forced of, thing. Yeah, happening. you don't quite know if you're going to kind of, yeah. uh, who's going to turn up and, you know. Yeah, so, so we had, you know, we, we kind of knew each other quite well and or very well and, and, and started our journey together as, you know, so as friends. So when you started, did you start playing your own music or were you doing covers? <clears throat> Uh, well, I think, you know, uh, when we kind of w were in that phase of um, playing with all the different musicians at university, you know, yeah. you'd just be in a corner, you know, in the stairwell, just playing yeah. whatever sure. was going on Strumming at the time. Away. I feel it was like, you know, Supergrass were sure. big yeah, yeah. <laughs> or Oasis songs or whatever. Yeah. Um, but, you know, Chris was always, you know, he was always writing his own music right. and try, okay. you know, trying to compose and... Right. Um, so when we formed the band at the end of that first year, you know, we had a few seeds of our own um, cool. kind of song ideas. Yeah. Wow, man. Um, and do you ever, do you ever have to stand back and try and contextualize what, how that all happened? In fact, when, is there, is there a moment that you can acknowledge in time where it was like, okay, this is a tipping point now. This is when things really changed. Yes, I would say that the tipping point for me was we were playing um, we were quite a new band. I think we'd uh, we'd had our record deal, but you know, even even when you've kind of you've done a record deal, there's there's mm -hmm. still no guarantees that you're really sure. going to go anywhere. But I think for me, I felt the tipping point was we were playing a festival up in Scotland, right? Um, Tea in the Park Festival, yeah. um, and we were playing in the new band's tent. Uh -huh. I think it was the King Tut's Wawa tent. Okay. Yeah. King Tut's Wawa Hut is a famous. Um, live venue in in glasgow right okay anyway they had their kind of their on-site kind mm -hmm. of um king tut's wawa tent was where the new bands would play and of course there was the main stage where all the the established acts were sure were playing um and we had just released yellow as our right. kind of first single wow and, you know and it was getting played on radio one and it was doing really well yeah. and i can remember when we went on stage in king tut's wawa tent um, it, the, you know, the sides of the tent were just kind of bursting because, I, because, everyone because people were coming away from the main stage, to, you know, to try and come and see us. And people wow. were actually kind of pulling up the kind of pegs and I could see people coming in coming underneath, underneath the, tent? the sides because no they way. wanted to, um, to get in. And I think that will always stick in, in my mind as being, it's like, okay, this is, this is we're a real moment for us. This is, you know, we've, we've. We've kind of got some exposure here. We've got a song which has yeah. kind of resonated with people. Yeah. Um, so I always remember, you know, I always think fondly of that. Of course, being from Scotland as well, it of course. was, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. it was, um, that was nice as well. Yeah. So I recently watched, um, I'm not sure if it was on Amazon, but it was the documentary of your Buenos Aires gig, I think it was. Uh, Head Full of Dreams yes. tour, yeah. What on earth is that? like what is it like well, to, of course it's, to be on stage i mean how many people were there it looked like a hundred thousand it was just I think, insane I, I think in the stadium shows they range from i think 50 to up to about a hundred thousand what is that energy like dude like well it's amazing of course it's, it's nice to uh, it, you yeah. know it, it's it's kind of nice we, we've had a few years distance from it now Right. Um, so of course I can look back at it and go, wow, that was, that was you know, berserk. that was insane. Yeah. But of course, in the time you're you're in the moment and you're focused and um, <laughs> just on, you know, just on getting through the tour and, and the traveling and playing and making sure that you're everybody's kind of 
um, you know, in the zone and yeah, performance wise. Yeah. So you just get into this, you know, this kind of cycle of um, being on tour. And sometimes it's hard to see when you're actually right in the thick of it, you know, just it? how big it looks. And of yeah, course, being scale. on stage, we don't, we often don't appreciate the kind of the visual spectacle that no, we're creating because, because all of the, all of the um, like projection screens are behind us. Uh -huh. And quite often if we've got, you know, fireworks, they're kind of yeah. above us and behind us. And um, so I actually, you know, when I watched back that, yeah, that movie, yeah, I was kind of like, I was, it's like, wow, like, that's I, us. Is, is that us? <laughs> yeah. So there is a kind of a surreal uh, moment when you actually look back at that edited film to, yes. to actually finally see what, other people were experiencing on that tour. Incredible. Of course, it is ridiculously good fun. Of course, it is. It's, it's, it's bonkers. Insane. You know, walking on stage yeah. and, and just you know getting all of that energy is something I think which will never. I mean, it, where do you never go get from, boring. I'm, I'm just trying to think where you go from there in terms of a sense of occasion. Do you know what I mean? Like because there's four of you on yeah. this stage, yeah. and then some. I don't know support acts. You know and. Yeah. And you're commanding this <clears throat> ocean of people. <laughs> that must be the most yeah. surreal feeling. It is surreal. And of course, I think what we always try and do is we try and take a very big space and try and make it much yeah. smaller. You know, so we, so we do this thing where, you know, we have this tiny little stage, probably not, you know, much bigger than this table. You know, right. it's maybe a, a bit bigger where the four of us can stand. Okay. So at, towards the end of the concert, you know, we'll come to the back of the stadium and stand on this tiny little platform and play some kind of acoustic songs. Yeah. Um, which just, I think it's nice because if you're at the back of a stadium, you can feel very disconnected from, sure. you know, from the band or the artist yeah. on stage. You know, you're watching everything on the screens. Yeah. So it's just a way of including those people that are at the back of the uh, venues, to, you know, in, in a kind of a more yeah, kind right. of one-on-one -on -one, um, yeah. type experience. Who, who came up with the wristbands that changed color? Because, I mean, um, that's taking the like, <clears throat> hold up your lightest thing to the next well, step. Well, I'm very it? proud of those wristbands. I can't, they're, I can't wait, remember they're amazing. specifically who came up with the idea. It was either Chris or Phil, who's our kind of um, behind the scenes fifth member who's been with us from the beginning. Right. Um, and I'm, I'm very proud of that wristband device. Yeah. Because. Not only does it look amazing. Oh, my, visually it's bonkers. But everyone else is doing it now Are as they? well. Right. Yeah, so it's, it's kind of... It's a shame we didn't paint in that, That um, would have been great. <laughs> I'm sure we looked into it, I'm but, sure you know, it's, yeah, it's yeah, an LED it. at the end of the day. And uh, I reckon yeah. that'd be quite a hard thing yeah, to do. Yeah, I think so. But, but, of course, we're always thinking of new yeah, things of to come up with. And that's our challenge for when we do if we do eventually go out on, yeah. and do another one, you know, what are we going to do next? What are we going to do? Yeah. So I looked at that tour, it was just over 120 gigs you did yes. across 16 and 17. Yeah. I mean, I thought I was on the road a lot. That's pretty substantial. Yeah. Yeah. And so that was a global tour. Yeah. And it spanned two years. So. Wow. Um, yeah. But insane, man. So I would say that was the first, I mean, we've done, you know, we've done big tours before and yeah. I think, um, I feel that the Viva La Vida tour was much bigger in terms of the number of shows. And I think maybe even right. the Milo Xyloto tour was bigger really? than that um, in terms of the number of shows. Right, okay. But actually for the last tour, I felt that we got the balance right. really well okay. between yeah, yeah. 
you know, how far we space out the shows. Sure. You know, we've all got children now, and um, so the dynamics are very different. Our, yeah. you know, our, our tours are kind of based around their school holidays. Really? Yeah. And it's so amazing how of, it'll ch change and so your we, life having a kid, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, and it's yeah. fantastic, and yeah. you know, we, we love it. So we, you know, we tend to bring them with us. How amazing and it's funny because we, you know, we, we go off to, to work in the evening, <laughs> yeah. and it's just yeah. a, to them, it's just a kind of minor inconvenience in their day that we have to go away and do this thing for yeah. anything. But, um, oh, but no, it was, it was a very special tour, and um, yeah. you know, I hope we can do something like that again one day. Yeah. So, I, I mean, it's weird as a music fan, particularly fans of, of of bands i really enjoy watching the behind the scenes build up to it yeah. and i always wonder what's going through you know these these guys heads when, when they because you must be able to feel the energy of that crowd backstage you know because there's so much noise and so much happening just before you go up those yeah. steps yeah someone passes your tech passes you the, the yeah. bass you strap on the thing i'm like what's that guy thinking you know what I mean? I'm like what's yeah. happening then like you take that first step up onto that and you begin walking up, How, what is going through your mind right then? Well, How's that feel? <laughs> um, generally speaking, it feels great. Okay. Um, yeah. it's, it's always better mm -hmm. when, you've, when you've gone some way into a tour uh -huh. and the set list has settled into a place that feels really good. Right. And your muscle memory is all in place. Okay. Um, beginning, you know, the first few shows of a tour is always a little bit, there's it's always exciting, but it's always a little bit more um, nerve-wracking because you don't have the muscle memory, okay. um, which means you've got to think about Actually your parts playing. and what you're playing. <laughs> yeah. um, and sometimes that goes wrong. I'm sure, I'm sure it does. <laughs> and sometimes you start songs in the wrong key. What's the process there? Do you just laugh it off and crack on? <laughs> or you, let's it's never again, funny. It's, it's never, never it's funny. Never, and being a bass like, player, the thing is, if I, if, I play, if I play a wrong note, Mm. particularly if it's a semitone mm -hmm. it makes the whole place feel like Weird. you're got you you're upside down bad does yeah and everybody doesn't necessarily people don't necessarily know that it's me that's made the mistake but everybody knows something's, something's gone, gone wrong. wrong yeah and all three other guys <laughs> look at you if you play a wrong note on a guitar <laughs> like yes. if you you can you can make it sound you can, you, you can slide yeah you can sure. slide from one note to <laughs> yeah. the other and you can make it sound like you meant to to yeah. do it but on the bass there's nothing there's nothing worse than than a you know a wrong bass note i i don't think so i'm always <laughs> conscious of the fact that i've got to get my kind of chops up before yeah. you know before we go out unreal dude yeah super cool but so, you know it's great and once you once you get into that um you know you really do get this kind of muscle memory whereby you know if we're, if we're playing a song and i've suddenly realized that i'm looking at the crowd yeah, um, and not thinking about what I'm playing. It's strange because your hands just, just do it for doing you. It. That's mad. And that's a really nice place to get to because then you can kind of you can look out and really enjoy, yeah. you know, the energy and, and and see people's faces. You know, the first few shows are a little bit kind yeah, of you're like focusing on it and whatnot. Yeah. Mate, I can't imagine what it's like. I went to a Metallica gig a long time ago now. Like, I think it was like 2007, mm. and it was one of the first gigs that was played at the new. Wembley Stadium, yeah. just so happens to be like one mile from here. Yes. And I was really fortunate that I managed to get, I mean, in fact, I won't lie, I bribed a guy <laughs> to get to the very front, right? So they were handing out all of these wristbands and mm. there was this there was this sort of 
really weirdly, the sort of exclusive pit in front of this front, like main mosh pit. Like a VIP pit. Yeah, and I'd never actually seen this, right? But it was really odd because it was like, if you want to get in it, you can. And then at the back, there was this like area for breathing if you've right. been knocked on the floor or, right. or something. And then behind that, there was nothing. It was just like the, the whole pitch was full of people and every single seat was full. Mm. And because I managed to get to the very front, off the back of giving this bloke 20 quid to give me this, this band to get, get me in, um, I mean, I was so close to the stage, I felt like I could have reached up and touched the lead guitarist. That's foot, cool. you know. And I remember turning around because I was thinking, this must be what they're feeling. Yes. And I turn around and I look at this stadium and I was, I was lost for words, man. It was, it was almost more yeah. interesting than the actual act because yeah. it felt like there was like 80,000 people staring at you, yeah. you know? And that was the only time that I've had any remote kind of context as to what that energy must feel like. It's Absolutely amazing. absurd. Uh, yeah. You know, we're always so kind of, we're all so thankful that people come, you know, come mm -hmm. to the concerts because you know, it's a real pain getting to a big concert. Generally, there's kind of, you know, it's, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's not so. easy, you know. No, it's not, yeah. That, and yeah, then that you've got to get home afterwards, home. and I just think, oh, yeah. I'm not sure if I could be bothered. Yeah. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so, anyway, you went from Coldplay, which has been incredibly successful. I mean, I think that's um, an understatement, really. And then has that allowed you to effectively get involved in the cars, which oh, for sure. you've always I, liked? A hundred percent. I mean, um, yeah, yeah. I've, I've been allowed to, uh, you know, I'm allowed, you know, for the last eight years, I've been allowed to indulge in my passion for classic cars by collecting them and restoring them. You know, yeah, for me, amazing. it's kind of... Is there anyone like, else in the band that likes cars or is it just you? No, I would say I am flying that particular flag. That flag. Right, um, okay. <laughs> so absolutely, I mean, yeah. you know, it's it's you know, it's given me everything that I yeah, do today. Yeah. Super um, cool. But yeah, so you know, you know, the car thing's been going on for about eight years, and I've been restoring lots of cars and collecting them. And then, mm. you know, you end up having a nice circle of friends that mm. are just kind of, you know, petrol heads for one of a better better word. And yeah, so I got involved with a group of people who, you know, we were just talking cars the whole time. And one That's of them cool. was um, Mikey Harvey, yeah. um, who's ex, uh, he's, he's a fantastic writer and journalist and editor. Who, he edited the Top Gear magazine and also car for a while. And it just kind of, you know, it struck us that we should make our own magazine. So, so we're almost a year into the road right now. Is that right? Um, so That's I think crazy. issue four is coming in November. Um, uh, and that's, that's you know, that's a thousand pages of solid, Content and that the we've content made for the is magazine. serious. This isn't like regurgitating press releases. This is like amazing. No, stuff. this is all commissioned. This is all commissioned um, pieces mm. that have been written by fantastic writers, all handpicked by Mikey. Amazing. Um, it's amazing, actually, because obviously, I mean, particularly the world I'm from, it's all very much the future of digital. It's all online, video, etc. And yet, this stands out like a sore thumb because, and like you said, why is it that this hasn't existed yet? Because mm -hmm. when we first met and started talking about this, you know, you were like, you look in any other genre, architecture, photography, travel, there are these beautiful books mm. which 
you know, the, the writing, the photography, and even the quality of the paper it's printed on, you will never throw it away because it's, it's yes. so nice. Yeah. How is there not a, something like that for cars? Like, why, how's it taken um, this long? <clears throat> it's mad. Because it's hard. You know, <laughs> yeah. Because it's hard to do. It, it, it's very, very labor intensive. And, um, you know, you'll never see anyone be juggling so many things at once than, than yeah. Mikey. Yeah. Um, uh, and it's a hard business model. You know, it's mm. a hard thing to, um, to justify in terms of the numbers. Yeah. Um, which is why we sell, we sell direct to consumer. You know, you can only uh -huh. buy it from our um, uh, from our website. Uh -huh. um, because if we go on newsstands, they're taking 50, 60 percent sure. of the cover price, and yeah, even yeah. at the cover price of twelve fifty, yeah. we're still, you know, I struggling to make the numbers work. I actually think that's a bargain. Like when when you handed me the first thing, I mean, it's substantial, man. It, this thing is this thing is fat. Like it. Yeah. I picked this up and I turned over to see the price. I was like, that's got to be a typo. Well, to be honest, the idea originally was for it to be £25. Okay. So you would get four copies a year, 100 yeah. quid. Uh, and, and uh, you know, we had some internal discussions about, about that. Yeah. And it was felt that, well, you know, we should not let the price be an obstacle, uh, uh, you know, a barrier uh -huh. to purchase. And we felt that we needed to try and convey the fact that it wasn't just a magazine to people first before we start, you know, right. changing the, you know, having a price of 25 pounds. I think we will have to put the price up a bit, uh -huh. which I know some people won't like, but I think yeah. if we're going to carry on making it, um, it's going to have to happen. So, I mean, my previous life was involved in e-commerce. Yes. And before we went all to, to email, we were producing 50,000 catalogs a month. They were only A5 and they were quite light, lightweight. Yeah. And they were A5 for a reason because the postage was so expensive. How the hell does that translate on this? Yes. In terms of the postage? Well, we charge the postage on top of that, which, yeah. is, um, which is another kind of slight battle we have because people don't understand why it's so expensive to send uh -huh. a magazine. Yeah. Um, and the reason is it's not really a magazine. It's kind of, you know, it's like a bookazine. Book. The thing weighs over a kilo when you've got it in a box. Yeah. Um, so I think the postage to, you know, so to the nice. UK is four pounds something. And to Europe is, I think, 10 pounds. And to America and the rest of the world, I think it's 15 pounds, which is obviously insane in a way, because that's more than the magazine costs. It is, but try getting yourself halfway around the world for 15 quid. Yeah, you know. exactly. I, I, so, actually, I actually am amazed you said that number. That's mm. pretty impressive. I think yeah. that that's good. So to get that to America for 15 quid, yeah. it weighs a ton. It's a big, yeah, thick, it's a big, it's thing. A big thick piece. It's amazing. And what's going to, like I mentioned to you before, so we're yeah. going to have, in November, we're going to have issues one, two, three, and four. We will be making this um, kind of bespoke uh, road rat slipcase for it. I need is, one of these. Which is kind of cool. Yeah, so I need one of those. four little logos on there. Because we have a lot lying around here. And I think it'd look great if we could stick it in a box like that. That'd be amazing. So we're gonna do we're gonna do an offer um, for people who might like to buy it for themselves or others yeah. at Christmas time. So you can buy you know you can buy issues one to four in the slipcase. Cool. Um, and that's gonna be interesting postage wise because <laughs> because <laughs> that's, that yeah. that's like sending. When I put this up know, on the desk earlier, you might, you might as well be sending a breeze block. It's a small dumbbell, isn't yeah, it? Really? Well, I mean, that's weight. you know realistically that's gonna weigh, weigh 
you know, by oh. the time that's wrapped up in a box, it's going to be almost five kilos. So it is, it, wow. we'll, we'll figure it out, but it's going to be a nice, but it's gorgeous. It's though. going to be a nice offer for Beautiful Christmas, thing. I think. Yeah, it's going yeah. to be a great, it's going to be a I great I think what's Christmas really present. interesting in this time, because I, I, I think when it comes to the kind of stuff which is consumable media that you would, you know, flick through on your phone and, you know, it, it's, it's something that you could read on, on an iPad because you would throw it away the, the, the next day. That type of content works well. Yeah. You explain this to me in a great way, actually, which, because I, I think I was texting you and I was like, oh, mate, I haven't had a chance to finish the article, but so far yeah. it looks good. And he was like, you were like, that's the whole point. Come back to it. Put it down. Yeah. Come back to it. Revisit it. And um, I can't remember the last time that I sat and read something with nothing going on in the background you, you know like you know, normally if i'm consuming something on my phone or on an ipad it's because i'm probably traveling on a train or you know if i'm at home then i'll be with the family or, or something this i'll sit down and i'll take yeah. 20 minutes out of my day to select an article dude i haven't done that for years man you know well, that's i what's think great it's kind it. of you know it's it, we're surrounded by devices and digital content these days and i think um I think what we were trying to do with this was to create, you know, something which would give you a, you know, just a, a mild relief from that. So like you say, you can sit down, mm. it's a big magazine, you've got three months to get through it before yep. the next one turns up. Uh -huh. Sit down, read an article, enjoy it from beginning to end. The magazine lives on your coffee table for another yeah. week before you might pick it up again for and sure. decide to read something else. But yeah. um, the other thing, thing that I, th I should point out actually yeah. um, is that Although we're about to be on issue four, uh, the magazine is completely off diary. So oh, all of yeah, the articles... Yeah, took the words out of my mouth. It's all timeless content. It's timeless content. So yeah. issue one is, you know, you could read issue one now and it would be just as relevant yeah. as it would have been when it came out, you know, sure. almost a year ago. Yeah. Right. Now it's super cool, man. Um, now my world is more modern cars. I, yep. I love cl classic cars. Yeah. I think the only modern car you have, aside from your daily driver, is the Veyron. Is that a, is there a, like a reason behind that in terms of passion, investment, or you know, do you um, ever fancy getting into more modern? Well, day actually, I do have. Um, I've got the Veyron, yeah. and the Veyron, I think, is an absolute game changer of a car. I think For it's sure. a modern classic. 100%. Um, I think it's the most beautiful uh -huh. of the Bugattis, yeah. of the modern era Bugattis, uh -huh. um, personally. Yeah. Um, I'm sure they wouldn't be thrilled to hear <laughs> me say that, but um, for me, it's got a classic proportion. And I just felt that from an engineering point of view, the engine, the transmission, that was the main thing, wasn't it? you know, the chassis was kind of really. Yeah. Um, you know, you know, Delara was involved in the chassis. Yeah. And he, you know, he's obviously been responsible. You know, his career is just unbelievable. You know, unbelievable. Well, everything from F1 to IndyCar, carbon tubs. Well, you know, he, he was Amazing. working on the Mura when he was 25, you know? Really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, he was, I think that, you know, the three, the three guys working on the Mura were all in their mid twenties when they, when <laughs> they put incredible. it together, which is yeah. just insane. It's like children. <laughs> it's, it's unbelievable. Wow. Um, and still that is, the most beautiful car, car, ever beautiful made. car ever made um, <laughs> and the first rear mid-engined yeah. yeah. you know supercar I mean, it's, it's literally coined the term the supercar. Uh, supercar yeah 
So for me, the Bugatti is just one of those engineering moments that, that comes along once in a blue moon. Yeah. Um, so, and it's very easy to drive. Yeah. Um, it's funny, I, I liken uh, Veyron and Chiron. People often ask me what they're like. And I think the easiest way to contextualize it, it feels like a hyper Bentley. Because inside they're so beautifully crafted. Yes. But the performance is otherworldly. It's... I've never actually experienced anything quite like it, other yeah. than separately. Well, I don't think that the Veyron is... I wouldn't say there's anything hugely special about the interior, actually. Um, it's quite nice. Ah, it's very but simple, I always, I always it? feel it's just like getting in a giant Audi. <laughs> Oh, God. <laughs> Amazing. You know? Yeah. Because, you know, I had a, I had an R8 for a while, and uh -huh. I just thought, well, it's just like one of them like on, one like, of those. on, <laughs> Turned up know, to 11. on steroids. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And in actual fact, it was easier to drive than the R8. Particularly the, the R8 with the R-Tronic rubbish single-clutch gearbox. Yes. That way, absolutely. Yes. Well, I, I had yeah. a manual gearbox. Yeah, um, I should have gone for the manual, man. Um, I cry uh, myself to sleep uh, over and that I bad decision. <laughs> yeah. I love the R8. Dude, that's a, I, uh, I would really consider getting back into a manual R8 yeah. again. The Gen 1 V8 R8 manual, wonderful thing. I, well, I had a beautiful one and, um, and I sold it because yeah, I just, you know, too, yeah. too many cars, it's fun, it? it doesn't feel good. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a kind of a, I know it's a ridiculously kind of, you know, luxury problem sure yeah have, i mean that there's first world problems of, and then there's that problem <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I mean i'm i'm kind of really i would ultimately like to have five cars and that would be it right is that just and, because and, it but crucially i'd like to, to use them all because yeah, i'm managing you know uh, i've been collecting cars and i'm and managing them is not much fun no it's not it's a pain i mean i went i got to a stage where i had seven cars and I'm not proud of it, but may I, sometimes I forgot to insure them. Sometimes yeah. the MOT had run out, you know, and I can see why if it gets any, any more than that, you know, it's a pain. It's a, you know, it's a, it's a real, it is. I know it sounds like a proper first world issue. It's like, boo-hoo, poor look, you I and your, know it's a first poor world you and all of your, of your I cars. Think, I think, uh, yeah. I suppose the point I'm really trying to make is, I'm kind of, I just want, I want to use them. I don't want to. I don't for. want to see them all shiny in the garage, 100%. sitting there for months on end. They need yeah. to be used, and I think you know. Um, I think this is a real thing. You know, there are people that are buying cars and these limited edition yeah, cars, yeah. and they're clamoring to get on these kind of super, um, you know, exclusive lists. Mm -hmm. Getting hold of these things and then tucking them away and yeah, thinking they're going to sell them in two, three years' time, and uh, yeah. you know. And make you know make a profit and it's actually a, a real shame for someone that missed out on that slot who was planning to use it as intended yeah you know? i think so i just came i think off, the manufacturers um, are really starting to pick up on that now you know i know ferrari they're kind I of they're, they're quite that, keenly watching people's that, mileage when they're bringing cars yeah, into servicing i i think and i actually strangely hope that the the flippers market is beginning to to sort of thin out because not only that but i've noticed that production numbers are starting to go up as well so in in the past when a limited edition car came out you would understand that okay that has inherent value True. um but i mean take for example we have a 458 speciali over there for anyone listening to the podcast we're also filming this and I'm, I'm i'm pointing at some cars outside it's uh, our place here and um so in that corner over there back right we have 458 speciali and then in front of us we have a 488 Pista, which is the successor to that car. Mm -hmm. um, 
Now, when they did the Specialia Perta, they made 499 of them worldwide. Yeah. And the Pista and the Pista a Spider, they didn't call it a, a Perta, they called it a Spider. They are limited by production time, not by yeah, that's quantity. Right. Um, my dealer has been given double the allocation of Pista that he has speciality. And that is a, in a time frame of five years. So all of a sudden, you go on to Auto Trader or Piston Heads. Mm. And I remember when speciality landed, you know, when, when they were first here, there was six or seven online. You know, there's like 20 of these cars online now, really? you know. Now, people are still advertising them at pretty substantial overs, but whether they're swapping hands for that, I don't think so. And if they, if you did buy that at a premium now, I'm not sure you'd be a happy chappy in a few mm. years or months' time, particularly if you plan on using it. That's when things change. Well, it's a funny time, isn't it? I mean, yeah. I think we've seen a huge overinflation of the market over... Yeah the last few years, and we've been in quite a big decline, I would say, for at least two years. Yeah, absolutely. Um, things are changing quite dramatically, so I'm not sure if there's going to be yeah. many happy chappies in general. No, I don't think so. <laughs> no. You know, in any sector That's of the market for a while. <laughs> I don't think so. That's right. Which is why I think, you know, don't, you know, don't obsess about the value of this thing or how much profit you're going to make. Just use, use it because, because it's... You uh, like it. You know, it's probably an engineering marvel that you're, you've yeah. got sitting in the, 100%. you know, there's been a lot of passion uh -huh. um, and engineering and skills that have gone into producing that. Mm. And you should be using it, you know, for all it's worth. Absolutely. Um, and that's, that's sort of my New Year's resolution uh, for next year is to just get out driving Let's more. Let's do lots of that. That'll be Let's cool. do lots of Let's that. Lots I know you want to go out in the Veyron, so we need to get that Yeah, soon. the Veyron will be amazing. Um, I just came off the Targa Florio. Um, How was it? It was brilliant. So Targa Florio, um, for anyone listening, watching, is, it was, in fact, it turns out it was the oldest uh, sports car race. Apparently it started in... Before the Mille Mille. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't know that. Um, I think it's goes back to like 1906 or something right. unbelievable imagine the cars then um, as well. hey, i know yeah and i mean the road surfaces were horrific last week never mind then I yeah. mean, oh, incredible um but yeah i mean that was made famous because you, you know you got like juan manuel fangio in it and you know that it's where enzo basically cut his teeth racing and that's true you know, yeah. alpha you, you know s sort of started there i think the clover leaf actually originates from alpha's experiences there so it's steeped in this amazing history. Um, and the event I was on, it was arranged by Ferrari. I was in the Targa Florio Tribute. So that basically allows you to enter a modern car. Yeah. And then alongside that ran the actual classic event. So you've got this amazing mishmash of all sorts of cars. But so I, I sent my F12 TDF down there. I've had that car for 18 months. I've, uh, in that time, I've done small mileage, 2,500 miles. In TDF terms, that's crazy mileage. Yeah. I mean, if you look for them for sale online now, they're like 500 miles. Yeah, right? I know. And then in three days, I just put 700 miles on it. And I haven't s had a smile so big for three days well, in exactly. such a long time. Well, exactly. You enjoyed it, didn't it you? May enjoyed it isn't the word, mate. I had goosebumps for three days. It was just <laughs> yeah. phenomenal because, I mean, it's October now. When I left England, it was 
wet and the, you know, this car in the wet is mm. bad anyway. But I was in Sicily with the windows down, driving these mountain roads where you've got the, the like mountain walls as really close proximity to you. And this V12 is like bouncing off the rocks yeah. and back into your cockpit. And it just sounds absolutely incredible. And I was like, man, as nice as this car looks in the garage, it doesn't feel as good as hitting that 9,000 RPM well, exactly. up a mountain pass. And I just thought, man, like there's so much R&D and passion and history. Literally, I'm driving the same roads, which has founded the foundation of this brand yeah. and why they're so good to drive. And people are flipping them with 300 miles on. I know. I mean, you need a backhand. You know what I mean? I'm like, what's I know. going on? It's crazy. It is crazy. So what's your strategy going forward with it then? Have you decided to just drive it I've and use it? I've decided to just drive it. Yeah. I've decided to drive it. I did well, go great. through I did go through a, a period of time where I thought what happened was I was traveling so much that I was away from the car mm. often. And the more time I was away from it, the more time I was like, it's quite a lot of money tied up in a car that I'm not using. Maybe I should sell it. And then yeah. every time I would go back to see it and use it, I'd be like, what am I thinking? Like, this is one of the greatest cars ever made. And, um, and then these last three days, I'm just, I mean, something else happens as well when you take it on a significant trip. So on the third day, uh, we left a bit early from mm. the, the main event. And we decided to drive all the way across Sicily and drive up Mount Etna, which is an active volcano. And there's all this like deep black volcanic rock surrounding mm. the whole area and the car's bright red and the photography and the memories I have now associated with that car are strangely worth more to me than the actual car. I couldn't agree with that sentiment more yeah. and I have that a lot with cars that I've done right. road trips in Yeah, because they become, you know, the experience of actually having, um, you know, an incredible drive across yep. a certain country, which then is kind of embedded in your brain forever. Yeah, your association you know, the with car that car. The car really becomes a part of the 100%. family and, and your life and your life experience then. Yeah. I mean, I've got, I think probably the most memorable road trip I ever did was when I collected my um, Zagato body Porsche yeah. um, from Zagato awesome. um, many years ago uh, with my friend Mags. Uh -huh who is also a musician. He's the uh, keyboard player for AHA, no a very old friend of mine. <laughs> Brilliant. <clears throat> and okay. we, so we drove the Porsche from, um, from Zagato up to the lakes and it was beautiful. It was kind of the sun was shining and you know, we were sort of having nice lunches out overlooking lakes and that was all great and lovely and the uh -huh. car was driving brilliantly. Then we turned the car uh, towards the Alps and we headed up to Chamonix mm -hmm. um, where we were then going to um, turn south and drive all the way down the Alps to, to Nice, which was our final destination. Cool. Now, this is a speedster. There's no roof. On there's no thing. roof. Right. And there's no windscreen, really. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah. Um, and so when we left Chamonix and drove down to Nice, the heavens opened and wow. it was thunder and it was lightning and there was no light. It was dark. Amazing. And we were, we were driving this little speedster Porsche all the way down across the mountain tops. Through the Alps through in the Alps weather. for three days in... Um, so it, it poured in, it down for three, three in days? Pour, in pouring rain. <laughs> and there was no drainage holes in the car. So we were actually, it was filling up like a, like a boat would fill up with water. Are you serious? Um, and each night we would get to the hotel. We'd have to check into, you know, sort of quite nice hotels and, yeah. and say, we've come to check in, but first of all, can we have a bucket <laughs> and a bunch of towels, please, so we Bop can the remove car. the water from the car. Wow. 
Brilliant. And we bought some yellow kind of fisherman's like Max, Max yeah. to wear. <laughs> and, and we just kind of drove Mega. this road trip all the way down the top of the Alps. Just to nice laughing all the way. No in doubt. rain, just laughing yeah, at the ridiculousness. Watered. And I, we, you know, we were so kind of scared because there was lightning all, all around us. Wow. Yeah. And we were thinking, hang on a minute, what's the rule here? If you've got a rubber wheel, yeah. Does that insulate you from the ground? Therefore, lightning yeah. won't strike us or it won't want or, to strike and us. And how does it or, work with no or, roof? Or is it the other way around, yeah. whereby if we're driving in a metal car on top of a mountain... <laughs> we uh, are the conductor. We, we, yeah. So we couldn't quite figure, <laughs> we couldn't figure <laughs> out which way around yeah. it was. And I actually got an app on my phone, which was kind of like a lightning follower. So we could Can look at the map and see where the lightning storms yeah. were around us. And we would try and, try and, avoid, we try and avoid the lightning storms i mean it was ab- we were like kind of a plane. we were petrified and kind of exhilarated at, at the same, same time, time at the prospect yeah. of us kind of yeah. removing you know it was like a kind of a darwin <laughs> it was going to be a kind of a darwin <laughs> kind of moment ending i think for, for for the two the two musicians and stupid Unreal. musicians driving a driving a kind but, of open I mean, top porsche in the dark but i definitely find that when you have when i go on road trips where there's like trials and tribulations and things go wrong you always have those stories when you get back it's you never talk about how comfortable the five-star hotel hotel room was no exactly it's always like this one time we broke down or we almost got hit by lightning or whatever it was you always talk about the time where at the time it was a bit of a nightmare you know and then you look back you're like man well exactly i think because that journey was so wet and it was so hard at the time to drive and we were freezing our hands Mm -hmm. were cold we were cold we were just you know Rainwater hitting you in the eye when you're traveling, even at 30 miles an, an hour, is really, yeah. <laughs> it feels like a needle's being oh, stuck in your eye. Yeah. Um, but it's because of that experience when you get home and you warm up a bit and you look back and you go, actually, do you know what? That, that was, was amazing. Yeah. And it's because of that I really bonded with that mm. car. And, and for that reason, I'll never sell it. That's cool. Because I yeah. could never, I could yeah. never let the car go because it'd be like that memory. For sure. Yeah, um, yeah, disappearing as well. I, so. I really sadly, I sold my 458 Speciali because I was investing in this place and the TDF came up at the wrong mm. time and I couldn't afford it both. And I was like, that, I don't want to let that car go because when that car launched, I didn't have the money or the profile to A, afford it or B, mm. get invited to buy it. But the car came up at the right price at the right time. And I thought, if I can get out of that car, I can get into this car, and this was happening, so I thought it'd be, it'd be cool. But I had some amazing memories with that car. I mean, I flew it to Dubai for a month, and the memories that I have associated with that car as a result of that, it's not the car, because there's lots mm. of specialities around, as great as, as, as that car was. It was the memory associated with that specific vehicle. You know? Yeah, exactly. And that's the only regret, I think, that I have about any car, really. Well, then you need yeah, to find that, a way of buying it back. I know, that's it. And you can yeah. track these things down. Yeah, I can't. Well, thankfully, my dealer sold it and he knows who he, he sold knows where it, it is. So one day, maybe, maybe I'll buy it back again. But yeah, some great memories to. with that, you know. Yeah, so, yeah it was I cool. Get it. So. Uh, so I'm going to, because my entire life and yours recently is now driven by social media to a degree. Yep. Uh, first of all, I'm just going to check. Have you ever published anything on like you personally published anything on the Coldplay account I just want to see how many followers that's got because that must be insane um, Coldplay no do I you don't... know how many followers you've got on Coldplay I think it's about 10 million yeah 10.2 million yeah <laughs> it's, 
Seems, seems like a lot, doesn't it? It does seem like a lot. Do you know what I find amazing about this is, let's talk about the BBC, for mm. example, right? I mean, the infrastructure they have to broadcast to that many people, if that, if that right, mm. that many people is thousands of people physical infrastructure, like own satellites and God knows what. Well, I think the whole world is changing, isn't it? And you can go 10 million people from, I know. from, your, from I know. your pocket. Which is why I, you know, it's why I started my own personal account because um, this is, you know, for, for the magazine, you know, it, it was important for us to, yeah. you know, the model is based on selling it directly from us to the consumer. It has to be online. So it, it's, it's all digital, really, uh, the so website. You didn't have, you, you were like, off grid up until about eight months ago? Well, I didn't have an account before because I didn't really didn't need, need to one. have one. Yeah. Um, but now, but I love photography. You know, yeah. I've always been kind of quite into taking pictures. So sure. actually, you know, Instagram for me is quite good because I'm kind of like, okay, well, I can try and take some cool pictures and, yeah, yeah. and put them up there. But it's also a nice way of sharing um, the things I'm doing in cars. Yeah, and yeah. I think it's important so, to, I, I think it's really important that if you're into cars and you have cars or you collect cars, that you show them, you sure. drive them, you let people- Share the passion. You, you, you let people see them and you don't kind of squirrel mm -hmm. them away and hide them away in, uh, as a kind totally. of a private collection. So yeah. So for me, it's great because I like, I like taking pictures. I like sharing with people the kind of the car adventures that I'm having. Yeah. Um, and I also like to kind of let people know that the magazine is yeah, of available when new out issues there. come out and show a little bit of the content to try and um, yeah, you know, to try and um, you know show people what the magazine's all about. So really, my, my my personal account is kind of very heavily skewed towards sure towards cars. Yeah, that's cool. Okay, you don't need to do any Coldplay stuff because you've got ten million of those people on the Coldplay account. Exactly. So you don't need exactly. to do that. I'm not saying. I mean, to be honest, I'm not saying that there won't be Coldplay stuff on there. There no, may well be in course. the future. It's just we haven't yeah. really been. You know, we're we're kind of having a a, a quiet period at the moment and. Mm -hmm. um, um, but that will probably change a little bit. Yeah, awesome. So, in my opinion, you joined Instagram a little bit late. Yeah, I think so. A little bit. I don't yes. think it's not too late, but it's it's like it's it's gained mass status, mass appeal now. Like the the planet is on it, so it's harder yeah. to break through. However, have you heard of TikTok? I have heard of TikTok. You have heard of TikTok. I've heard of it. So, I've been on TikTok. Oh, okay. This is a bit odd. I've been on before TikTok was TikTok. It was an app called Musically, which was lip syncing probably to your songs, <laughs> right? Yeah. Lots of people lip syncing to their favorite songs, and that was it. Really, it was mm. a very narrow band. And then they rebranded and slightly redeveloped the app, called it TikTok, and now it's wider content, but it's sort of smaller. Think of it as Instagram Stories, but front end, not back end yes um i've been on it i don't know maybe six or seven months now and i had a video i was on the launch of the new bentley flying spur and their flying b the badge on the front of the bonnet retracts and extends out of the bonnet when you open it when it sort of hides yes. away and i filmed this and i don't know the account at the time probably had like seventy thousand followers or something and i checked back three hours later and it had like a million views Okay, it's, it's a 15 second mm. clip. But I was like, this is, this is crazy. Check back again, 2 million views. Check back again, bang. Anyway, long story short, this video is about to hit 11 million views, right? And I mean, I've always been an advocate of getting on a platform as an early adopter as soon as 
you can because you never know. Like if this if this platform eventually becomes, you know, like if it transitions into mainstream like Instagram did, because Instagram started off as a, as a platform that was very much skewed towards photography. photography. And now it's everything but, right? It's like everyone pictures of what they've had for breakfast and things now. So I think yeah. if, if you can get on it now, like let's do it now. <laughs> well, let's do it I now. have just started a, a TikTok account. Okay, And cool. we are going to post some content on there. Okay. Sweet. You and I. Okay, I think uh, we should do it together. M- mid-podcast. Mid-podcast. Mid-podcast, yeah. And then it gives me a, a, an excuse to go, what's your account name or number? Sh- should we do it now? Yeah, do it now. Absolutely. I don't know what it'll be. That's, I, well, we can film the set and pass. Okay. And it might go to 10 million people, Pat. <clears throat> It'd be famous. <laughs> I'm not sure where I've put my phone. Hold on. That's okay. I mean, if anyone... I, I, I am yet to mention this to my audience. I'm on TikTok. I've been... I've been Purposely trying to keep it as like a separate audience just to see how it'll go. But I'm predictably at Mr. JWW. Okay. Well, I'm Guy Berryman. Guy cool. underscore Berryman. Guy underscore. Um, okay. I, look, I don't know how to post stuff on here. I'm, at the moment, I'm watching okay. a film about a dog. So look, if I... <laughs> film about a dog. Okay. How do I oh. add something? Is it that plus? Okay. There you go. Allow access to camera. So why don't you do... Okay. Press that. Uh, shoot a video. Camera. Yeah, shoot video and then there you go. Allow access to microphone. Well, this so, really is your your first post, hey. So why don't you do? Okay, I'm going to hit record. You could do an introduction to my your account. Account. Here we go. Okay. Welcome to buy. Well, welcome to buy. Welcome to Guy Berryman's. Shall I mean, I, shall I start this, that again? This entire podcast has been smooth, and then I, I can't I can't string together a 15 second sentence. Shall I start that again? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not? Let's do that again. How do you delete that one? I think you just press that little cross okay. there and then yeah, confirm. Right, okay. Also, what's interesting about this compared to Instagram, for example, when you hit record and like hold it down, you can let go and it'll save that segment and then you can start again. So it'll do it in sort okay. of segment, segment, segments. That's a good idea. Yeah. Right, so, here we go. So for when I inevitably cuck it up again. Photo templates. I'm just going to press that, right? Yeah, let's do it on... 60 seconds in case I want to chat a okay, bit more. Good. And then just like hold it down. Hold down the... Press and hold. Just press and hold. And then at the top, there'll be a little blue bar will we'll progress and that's how long we filmed for. Okay. And then when you let go of that red, it'll stop filming. And then we can start again on the same sequence. Okay. Without us. Here we go. Are we live? We're we live. are live. Yeah. Oh, is Welcome. it live? This is not live live. This is live like filming live. Okay. Let me, so, let me do that again. <laughs> Three. You know that chat we were having earlier about what it's like on your first gig when you can't get it wrong? Right, here we go. Okay, let's do it. One, two, three. Welcome to Guy Berman's TikTok account. Why? I don't know why this has gone so amateur hour, but we are uh, live recording a podcast. You are part of the podcast now at MVN, uh, talking about Guy's life and cars. So um, yeah, head to his account. Be sure to follow. Lots of epicness coming soon. From the Road Rat magazine. That was pretty Look spontaneous. That. That okay. Was pretty, uh, so then, how do we put that up? So then, you just press the red tick like that. Do we need to put on like the hashtags and all? Of yeah, those we can do all of the hashtags. Look at this. And you're a pro. Look at that. You're an absolute yeah, pro. Yeah, anyone thought I haven't been doing this to camera for the okay. last four years. <laughs> so then, what do we do okay, then? Okay. So then you, you you press next. This is like a crash course. Yeah, and then you just type. So interestingly, they limit it to 100 
characters. So you can't type much. Okay. Which is quite cool. It's just like really brief. Well, this is about short snippets, isn't it? Yeah. So you could just write my first TikTok post. <laughs> or so, something, something to match the, can you put in, the, the um, amateurness of my introduction. Can I put in like uh, your handle? Yeah, you can be at, at Mr. J WW in there and it should uh, link to it. But then how do you even write that? Because at Mr. Yeah, try that. I haven't actually linked to anyone because I don't know anyone on, yeah. on it yet. We look back in history on this and Guy's got like 12 million followers one day. <laughs> You'll be like, scroll all the way back. You'll see his first post, it was terrible. My TikTok. There you go. TikTok. Yeah. And then at the minute, the hashtags are so generic and cheesy. Hashtag, so what should I put on there? The hashtag. <laughs> wow. Car. Cars. <laughs> yeah, hashtag cars. Hashtag supercars. Hashtag supercars. All that stuff. You've got to have some Coldplay fan, fan pages on there, right? Let's see if anyone's put up any. Let's see. Okay. Because the foundation it was built on, of course, is all to do with music, so there's got to be. Okay. Okay, so when I type in cold, you are the top search. Okay, so I'll put that on there then. Yeah, and. Okay, the Coldplay hashtag has amassed 46.2 million views. That's pretty, good, right? That's pretty good. That is solid. Look at that. This is amazing. Dude, this is, this is so funny. These are loads of people lip syncing. <laughs> what was I saying? Lip syncing amazing. to your songs. That is great, isn't it? Look at that. So this was All why TikTok was originally That's right. started. Yeah. This is a, and it's this progressed from there. Where's this guy? This is funny. If, if anyone ever sees this, I'm, I'm going to tag one of these guys and hopefully... Oh, look at this, man. That's your concert. Which concert was that? Ah. Where's that? Does it say? I don't know. It doesn't say. But it's massive and it's indoors. Where's that? Um, I can't tell. No. Has anyone commented on it? No. Yeah. Cool. So, okay, so should, are, we, should, we, so should we get this up then? Happening. Yeah, so post that. Okay. And then... If anyone uh, listening friends, or watching is or isn't on TikTok, download the app and follow at Guy underscore Berryman and at Mr. JWW. That'd be Yeah, great why day. not? Appreciate it. We'll <laughs> give it a try anyway, won't we? Yeah. But no, I mean, in all seriousness, I really think it's a good move to get on this now because I, I just feel it has this successful movement of similar patterns that, that I've seen with social media platforms, which, I mean, the engagement is absurd. It's crackers. So I think it will gain fairly mainstream attraction. And I also think it's made that difficult pivot from what it was to what it's becoming. I think that was yeah. probably their biggest hurdle. So Well, you've been talking about it for a while. Yeah. And of course, platforms, they do come and they and they do go. Absolutely, yeah. But I, you know, for, for me, Instagram's great because it really is photography-based, and actually yeah. I, quite, I quite enjoy editing a great picture and, yeah, um, you know, and posting it on my account because I feel... It gives me quite a sense of satisfaction if there's a great picture that, yeah. you know, that you're happy to share. Absolutely. Fabulous. But we'll give this a try. I mean, I think that's yeah, posted try there. Yeah, and see. And, I mean, look, I, I guess in the next your life's not exactly boring. So there'll be some times where you'll be 
what behind the scenes or doing whatever, and it'll be like, hey, actually, this is an interesting snippet yeah. that I can share. Yeah. So that's cool. No, well, thanks for the the crash course. Yeah, yeah and, crash course. Uh, you know, yeah. let's see Social where it goes. Social media school coming soon. <laughs> You'd be very good at that, to be honest. Maybe. Maybe I've basically day. learned everything day. I know from, uh, That's okay. from you. Guy and I spent a week in your uh, Citroen SM, didn't we? Cruising th through Italy, planning, planning projects. I know, and that was a great. That was a great road trip. And we need cool. to get another. Yeah, next year. We, we need to get something. Let's sort it out. Well, I think um, we're going to do the inaugural Road Rat Rally next year. Amazing. Which will Sign be a three-day, probably a three-day uh, trip, maybe somewhere in Italy. Um, we're just trying to strategize it at the moment as to how many cars, where it's going to be. Um, and we need some, we're going to need some sponsorship partners for that. So we're just yeah. trying to, you know, we're trying to speak to a few people about cool. that at the moment. But I think that's going to be something really to look forward to. Yeah. I think the that organized rallies, you know, the tour autos and the Mille Medias and uh, Modena Centauro was actually, yeah. was actually that was cool. That, that was actually quite cool. But yeah. I think some of these modern day organized rallies, they're just a little bit too intense. Yeah. And, and I weirdly, think we've, we've both slow, realized. Isn't it? You know, it's slow. When they close a road, I guess as far as we're concerned, if you close a road, we like to go faster. <laughs> Whereas yes. on the regularity, and with the exception of the Tenta Ore. Yeah. So you get these events like Milamilia, Targa Florio, um, where they will close a road and have a timed stage, only it's an average speed point to point and it's normally desperately slow, isn't it? It's like everyone slows yeah. right down. Um, and I think for me that takes the sort of energy out of the flow that you've just had on yeah. the road and you get to this point where you have to sort of go super slow. Well, if you're steady. doing the regularity properly, you need to have like charts of and average speed equipment. times and distances and stopwatches yeah. and it's Multiple just not screens. a skill I'm interested in developing no. on a personal <laughs> yeah. level. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's it. Um, well, it's going as fast as I can. See, <clears throat> Chenta Ore, if we were in a, like, a proper sorted rally car, yeah. that would have been cool, you know. Although, or we might have ended up in the hedge like Phil. <laughs> Either way. Yeah, well, <laughs> I, feel, cool. I feel, you know, Phil is um, just one of the great kind of characters on the, on the car circuit because yeah. there is, there is, there's kind of a group of us, isn't there, that, yeah. that go around. And I, I love Phil because he's kind of, he's, he's quite, he's quite active on his Instagram stories. He is. Yeah. And I love the fact that he will, you know, he'll, he'll post a story and it will be him as happy as Larry talking about what he's about to do on the track. Yeah. And you know, he wishes, he hopes it goes well. <laughs> and then the next story, it'll cut to him going, <laughs> well, today wasn't the best of days. It didn't go to plan. <laughs> and then this guy, because he did actually end up on top of a tree. He did, yeah. He in goes his, for it in though, a Stratos. which is cool, yeah. But no, he's, he's one of the loveliest people I think we know in our, yeah, he in is. our circles. Brilliant and, uh, guy. And I think that's the other amazing thing about cars and the car world is that you genuinely find everyone's like-minded you know i mean the best yeah. some of my best friends and the, the best people i have met in life has come off the back of cars and that's cool. i agree i yeah. agree and it's it really doesn't matter what kind of it, it brings people together in a way because it doesn't matter kind of who you are how old you are what walk of life you're from yeah if you're at a car event or whatever and everyone's standing around a car it's it's a kind of a it, you know, it's a kind of, there's a common, there's a commonality there that everyone can talk about yeah. to and appreciate it. And um, it's, so I, I agree. I've met 
some really, really good friends, mm. you know, by just being in, involved in, you know, in this world of cars that yeah. we so love. It's cool, isn't it? Imagine where you'd be if you went down the Spitfire route. <laughs> you know? <laughs> It's an interesting sure. point. Yeah, yeah. it's a bit more niche, isn't that, it? You yeah. know, it's a bit more niche. Yeah, I think the, the, the average niche. age might be kind of slightly you know, skewed, a little yeah. older. So, what's next then? What's next for Guy Berryman? Well, when is this coming out? This certain podcast. It can, it can, it can come out after the twenty fifth if you want. Well, it's up to you. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Because um, you know we've just announced that we've got an album coming out at the end of November. So that's a slightly um, big deal. Which which is. Which is great, you know, it's, yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's, awesome. it's really exciting. We've yeah. worked hard on it for a long time and, you know, we haven't really been around for a while. Right. I think after the end of the Headful of Dreams tour, we felt we just kind of, we wanted to just get out of so everyone's it, way, you know, for a period finished of time. 17? Uh, that finished 2017. Wow, that's gone quickly. Yeah. That's gone really, really? It's, wow. it's gone really quickly. Really quickly. Um, okay. So we, you know, we... It, that, that was an amazing experience for us and the mm. tour went brilliantly well. And um, yeah, we just wanted to kind of just disappear for a little yeah, while. And chill but now it feels like a good time to come back and we've got um, an album coming out called Everyday Life. Wow, okay. And um, that we're really proud of. Fantastic. Um, and we're excited to do, um, do some shows. Yeah. Um, it's not gonna be an album that we take on tour. Okay. Interesting. Um, but, you know, we're going to be doing some interesting things over, yeah. over the next few months for that. Right. How does that process start? I mean, this podcast could end up being four hours. I could talk to you all day, mate. But when you, how does the process of beginning, not necessarily an <clears throat> album, but a song, like a, a track, do you, who start? Like, does it, is it lyrics? Is it bass? Is it riffs? Well, I think whenever we start an album, yeah. it doesn't, it's not like we walk into a studio one day with a completely blank sheet mm. of paper. Really? Um, there's, always, th there's always ideas that, are, um, that have been hiding in the wings or, okay. or they might be you know, old songs that, you adapt th that we never quite got right or we never right. finished. Yeah. Um, and it will generally be, you know, Chris is always working. Okay. You know, I don't yeah. think, you know, I think he is the... Um, He's the biggest workaholic that I that I know. Is he really? And uh, yeah, his his kind of his That's capacity cool. for cool. for you know make you know making music and writing songs is yeah. is boundless almost. It's yeah. um, um, you know it's huge. So he's always you know. So even if we if we take some time off, you know, it's never time off for him because no. he's always beating away. Ideas. Yeah. Um, so we always you know the the album process always basically starts with. Um, a, a pool of song ideas okay. um, which need to be fashioned into you know, the final thing. Yeah. Now what's interesting is during the course of that journey, yeah. the end album quite often doesn't resemble anything that, you started that we started with. with. Um, but cool. I think you need to go into it feeling that you have a <laughs> solid concept mm. and, um, um, uh, and that you have something to hang every, everything on. Yeah. And then we just allow it to twist and change um, as time goes on. You must have moments where it all starts to click together and, and, and someone will try something and you're like, dude, like that felt yeah. good. You know, like that felt cool. Yeah, and that's know? what we live for. You know, there's moments in the studio where we're working on an idea that we like or an idea yeah. that we love and it's about, it's about taking everything to the next level. So it's about everybody coming in and, you know, and adding their 
their own input uh -huh. into what's being built, um, you know, to support the song that's developing. You seem to have this, for want of a better word, like banger formula. Do you know what I mean? Like you've got so many ridiculous hits. Do you acknowledge in the room when that vibe starts to come, you're like, Oh, I think you know. That's, you know, that's got a real, that's super catchy. Yeah. Uh, particularly, I find like if you, if you're singing your own song after you've, after you've been playing it, you're like, that's, that's cool. You know? Yes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, I think you, I, I think you, I think you can know quite soon whether a song yeah. is going to have that kind of feeling. Yeah. Um, in fact, I'm always suspicious of the songs that we work on and, and we're trying to record that are just not really not getting there. there. Right. Or it's for some reason that we can't see our way to the end. There's not a clear vision because I always think, well, it's the ones that, you know, if Chris comes along with something like Yellow or Viva La Vida or whatever, it's like, yeah. um, you must there's have a clear path to the end. With Viva La Vida, you must have known those first four God. I can tell you, you I, can remember, I can remember vividly Dude. when Chris played the intro to it on really, the piano. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And you were just like, hold on a minute. And, uh, you know, In it was... Immediately. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I just knew it was... It just, it just sounded great to me in, in, yeah, in the opening few bars. Yeah, yeah. Um, but that's not always, that's not always the case. There, you know, there are definitely kind of anomalies to that rule. There's things which have, you know, been ideas we've liked and we've been working uh -huh. on and then we weren't quite sure where it was going to go. And then they've taken enormous twists in one way, shape or another and, mm -hmm. and become something which completely surprised us. Right. Yeah. I think Chris will always say, you know, it's the, it's the ones that just kind of fall into his lap or, or you know, into our collective laps that, yeah. that are kind of just being sent from above. It's like, wow, that, where did that come from? Yeah, yeah exactly. And, you know, that's, the, you know, that's the, that's what we're trying to mine all the time, basically. Yeah. And are the days still here of going to like a big studio and setting up in a studio or do you keep it quite compact? No, no we've got our own little mobile unit that we tend to awesome. move around and it's kind of, right. it's like in flight cases and um, it can be packed up and, 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 really? and moved around because it's right. quite, you know, and there's not many big commercial studios left. I think there's Air Studios in London. Really? You know, just talking about London, Abbey Road Studios, of sure. course, is still there, yep. but some of the kind of iconic recording studios. Yeah. Um, you know, they've, they've been turned into luxury apartments, apartments or, or something, yeah. Um, but of course now, if you think about it, you know, there's more recording power in your, to phone. be honest, in your phone <laughs> yeah. now than there was in some of these studios. It's incredible, um, isn't it? In terms of their old fashioned analog sure. setups. Yeah. So we, uh, and we like moving around. We like going to different places. We like so going to different countries, having different and, rooms, and we can really, yeah take a, any sort of reasonable size room and put everything in there. And within a day or so, you know, our kind of um, yeah. engineers can kind of clipped everything together and, and have made a, awesome. a, a nice environment. And there always seems to be a little bit more vibiness in those kind of sure. spaces. I guess it's a bit, it's just more exciting to be somewhere else, right? I mean, yeah, in your I living room's so. not quite as vibey yeah. as some cool place in, I don't know, Vienna or yeah. somewhere. Well, right? we actually started this, you know, our, the, the new album that's coming out. Mm. We actually kind of really one of the first recording sessions we did was um, at the end of 2017 in mm. Tuscany. Nice. And we rented a kind of a farmhouse there. Right. And we all went to Tuscany for a couple of weeks yeah. um, in the middle of nowhere. Amazing. Um, and, and started, you know, recording some of these songs. Isn't that cool, though, that you can just 
pack up and be like, hey, let's get a vibe in LA, let's get a vibe in Paris and just yeah, go Yeah, because, places. you know, there have definitely been scenarios, I think, in the past where we've been in one kind of big commercial studio for months and months on end. It's just starting to drag, isn't and it? And the energy just doesn't feel right after a while, or yeah. you feel you've absorbed as much energy as you can from that those particular walls. Sure. And I suppose it helps as well, because Chris is in LA, right? Yeah. And everyone else is in England? Yes, but uh, for the most part, I mean, right, we're okay. always, you know, we're always traveling. Oh, yeah, I've, just, I've just come back from Los Angeles. Yeah. And um, um, so, you know, we're, you know, we spend half of our lives in airplanes. Yeah, I know how that feels, man. <laughs> you do, don't <laughs> all you? All over yeah. the shop. Yeah, yeah. Although, um, I, I mean, you and I have not long become dads again. Um, it's true. I'll say again for you, um, first time for me, I'm eight months in. Your your son's just turned a year yes. old. Yeah, just over a year. That changes things a little bit, you know. Last year, with with my line of work, I did eighty flights, eight zero. People are like eighteen. That's not too bad. Hmm. Like no, 80, no, 80. 80, 0. Yeah. This year, I'll be lucky if I do fifty. I so reckon. you must you must have a gold card. Be a oh, gold man. card, right? Well, do you know what's really annoying? My my flights are majoritively from Manchester Airport. Right. The majority of the flights from Manchester Airport are fairly budget airlines. And the brands love it. They're like, yeah, we could send him on this launch for, for cheap. And I have no <laughs> loyalty points. Everyone's like, man, you must be like super platinum, triple Amex action. I'm like, not at all. So I eventually want to move a little bit closer back towards London. Not right. in London. I did mm. 10 years in, in London and that will, was enough mm-hmm. now. No, I get just the that. freedom of movement in London at the minute. It, well, not in the minute. Over the last few years, it just got terrible. Yeah. Um, and it's it's not until you move out and then come back in again, you're like, oh my god, this is this is awful. Um, but if I could take the majority of my flights from Heathrow, that would be good because I could do ninety percent of them with BA, I think, mm. and then it would be cool. But no, mate, I've got no. <laughs> no you know, I guess I guess we're talking first world problems. The first world again, problems you know. again. That's it. Yeah. So no. Sadly not, but um, yeah, man, lots of travel. But, but yeah, kids change things and you're like outlook on life and all sorts of things. So it's, it's a cool experience, but now I'm I mean, trying to stay at home. It's definitely, it's the biggest game changer, I think. The number one. You can have. And the it's, number one. But, it, yeah, but it's so, great, you know. Yeah. Um, no. You know, I've got, I've got a little boy now and, um, um, you know, he's just, you know, he's running around all over the place and, playing with his toy cars and it's just so strangely familiar you know yeah. and, um, you know when I was a kid growing up I remember one of my kind of first passions before I got into you know music or cars or anything like that was I was obsessed by Star Wars really absolutely yeah, I was obsessed, obsessed, I was obsessed by with it. it as well it's funny you either fell into the Star Trek or Star Wars camp didn't you I was Star Wars oh it was not, no, not, not, not even not even close yeah, not even close for sure um, so, you know, I used to watch it every day. Mm. You know, I think, you know, when I get into something, this You're is well just part it. of my personality, whether it be music yeah. or cars uh-huh. or, you know, whatever, I kind of go... Absorb fully into it. The whole yeah. hog. And, That's cool. And, and, and I think Star Wars was the first <laughs> was example the first of me doing <laughs> that. I think I used to watch like Star Wars every, every day. single day. Really? On, like, wow. VHS. Yeah. And, or parts of it, you know, before school sure. or whatever. Yeah. And I used to have all the, um, you know, the action figures. Figures and, a lot, uh, yeah, for sure. I'm looking forward, to, um, you know, to trying to get, you know, my little boy in, yeah. into that. And I, kind of, I really awesome. want to kind of see if he can engage with that. Yeah, and, I still uh, think the 
originals are sort of the best as well. Not from a nostalgia point of view. They just yeah, they are they great. Seem there's there's an authenticity about them that the new ones have lost somehow. You know, unless that is just the inherent. I like nostalgia the new ones. Talking. It's the you know the middle. The middle you know, ones. The middle ones were kind of maybe not so great. Not, not good. Yeah, um, but there's a new one soon. Soon, right? I think they're trying to do one every year. So whether it's, it's like, an official um, yeah. Star Wars film or a, a spin-off spin film. Yeah, yeah. Um, Which are good, actually. You know, cool. because it's a Disney franchise it now, isn't it? it? Is so now, they're yeah. going to... They're printing them out. They're why would you stop? For sure. You know? you know, I'm a bit like that with Game of Thrones. It's like, why would you stop doing this? I, I haven't watched Game of Thrones. You haven't watched Game of Thrones? No. Is it good? I've been told it's is good. It I mean, good? Everyone, it, it, there's going to be people on the other side of the screen going, is it good? <laughs> well, I'm kind of, you know, I, you know I'm in, in a way, I'm kind of really envious of you because I know you've got, know you've got feeling, it all to all watch. To and, Isn't there like the five years of it or something? Well, um, I think there's, uh, I can't remember, seven, yeah. seven seasons or something. Mm-hmm. But in a way, oh, you know, okay. you, you, can, wow. you can just binge watch it. Really? I'm um, like that with people who haven't seen... Breaking Bad, I'm like, I'm so jealous. You got all that to come. Okay, so it's the same thing. Same thing. So you know how annoying it is when somebody hasn't watched Breaking Bad, and you're trying to tell them. There's this cultural reference now that's like, you know, set in stone. But the thing with Game of Thrones is, um, we really are covering everything. That's what this is about, man. It's about, Um, you know, people general chit chat. I know a lot of people that just can't get beyond the kind of the dragons and the kind of the fantasy um, element of it. What it is, you embrace it for. But actually, it's kind of I quite like the political themes that are kind of you know, um, the, that run through there and the characters are it's great. There's like lots of death in it, isn't there? Lots of people there's killing a lot everyone. Of the, the, absolutely. Vast amounts yeah. of death. Yeah. And actually, Will, our drummer, was in, he was in one of the episodes. No, he wasn't. Really? That's awesome. He was in one of the How famous... How did he get that gig? <laughs> because like, he loves Game of Thrones. Really? And I think... He's like, um, I'm the drummer. Let, um, <laughs> let, me, let me in. <laughs> I think he... I think he asked to see if he could go and see some of it. I think they filmed it in Ireland, and I think um, right. his family have a place out there, and I okay. think he wanted to go and watch it being filmed. Right. Um, so I think the response that came back was, well, why don't you come along and you know be, be in a scene? Yeah. And he was actually in a awesome. scene, a very famous episode called The Red Wedding. Okay. Um, Sounds like which I won't, dies. I won't ruin. <laughs> Sounds like know, everyone I won't say. But, okay. but in the red wedding, of course, it was a wedding of sorts. Right. And in the background, there was a band, like a, a wedding band, Tell medieval me. style wedding band thing. And, he's the drummer? and he was he was the drummer in that. Awesome. Is this a well known thing? Do people? I don't know, know if that? it's. I don't know if it's massively well known, but, but this it's is great. not a secret. That's. I'm gonna clip that as an Instagram clip later yeah. and put that out there. <laughs> Johnny, yeah, Johnny's the drummer of, from Game no, of Thrones. Will. Will, sorry, Will's the yeah. Wow. <laughs> but you Actually, should watch it. Was it was it um, totally off topic? And this really is going everywhere. Was it Will who sang a set on the gig in Buenos Aires? Because the, the, yes, there's a section where it ain't Chris singing. Yeah, you know that was really good. Yes, yeah, he no, was he's good. He's he was great at that. He's, he's a good singer. He does a lot of the um, yeah. sort of background vocals on our. He's songs. really good. Yeah. Um, and what song was that? In my place. In my place. I'm not sure. Is that I, I can't remember. I'd have to watch yeah, it. Right. But, but um, no, he's yeah. he's no, he's he's one of the few kind of you know. There's not many of them, but he's one of the few singing drummers. Wow. Yeah, yeah. You know, which That's I always think. No, it's cool. You know, I think and it's quite a tough thing to do. Chris is a fluent in Spanish. What is that all about? Chris Chris speaks quite a lot of languages. Does he? Yeah. 
That was amazing. I mean, he did like a, a few sets completely in Spanish. That was amazing. But you know, wherever we go to, whichever yeah. country we, we, uh, we're playing in, yeah. he will always, before the show, get somebody that, very you know, cool. from the air, from the city or whatever, and yeah. sit down and he'll learn a bit of the, the local cool. language. Wow. Um, because, you know, if you think about it, it's a little, you know, to just go to, you know, to go to foreign speaking countries and to yeah. just speak English, it's a little presumptuous to think yeah, that, so, you know, really. you shouldn't make yeah. some kind of effort, sure. to, you know, to speak the language. Oh, man. I mean, when you're listening to that show and when every now and again he'll drop in a sentence in Spanish and the crowd loses it. They lose yeah, it. Yeah. Like, well, of course, God. because it's, it's respect. I think course, more than anything, it's, it's, respect. it's, it's acknowledgement of the country you're in and the culture. And I think but he tackles fantastic. he tackles everything. You know, Japanese. Does you he? Know, you, you name it. You know, he'll he'll give it a That's give cool. it a go. I, like that. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I'm yeah. sure sometimes he ends up saying things so that wrong. don't quite. <laughs> yeah. But you know, it's, it's I the suppose point. it's the it's the it's, it's the sentiment which is the important thing. Maga. Well, dude, mate, I could talk all day, and I'm sure these guys could listen all day. But we'll be punctuating this with lots more adventures so let's try and um oh that reminds me before we go before we go i've never yeah. told you this story and i've okay. never told anyone this story other than uh derek bell yeah. who was in the car so i want to set a bit of context the first time i met guy we were on the millimilia 2018 18 18 17 18 anyway last year 18 yeah yeah it was 18, and we were sharing an Alfa Romeo 1900 Sport Spider from the Alfa Romeo Museum. Yep. That was an interesting experience. And so Guy and I would swap places for different legs, and I think you left early to go to a catering race, in fact. Yes. Right. So I get in with Derek, and um, I've never met you, obviously, at mm -hmm. that time. And uh, so we're all talking and, what, and whatnot. And I pick up on every town we come into, they're playing a Coldplay song. So mm. anyone who hasn't <clears throat> seen any footage from the Millimilia, it's a, it is a it is woven into the culture of that country to a massive degree that like every mayor of every town you pass through comes out and there's people throwing you like food into your car yes. it's like a really big deal and there's every town has got speakers set up and they interview the drivers as they come through and by the like sixth or seventh town every time we roll in they're playing a Coldplay song and it comes becomes very apparent that with that red hat on and the glasses and we've had the same amount of stubble <laughs> at that time yes. that I kind of looked very similar to Guy. Yeah. And if you've never been up close, I mean, I've seen some shots. And even my mum is like, was that Guy in that car? Was that you? So we get in this town and these women run around and they're kissing me and they're throwing me bread because I am you. They are thinking I'm you. <laughs> and, oh, Mr. Merryman. Oh, thank you, thank you, thank you. So the mayor or whoever it was comes over and he, he, they like push this microphone in front of most people's faces anyway and go, oh, are you enjoying the millimilia, et cetera, et cetera. And of course, because I'm Guy Berryman at this time, Mayor runs around, sticks the mic in my face, and he goes, how was it? And I was like, oh, I can't let this go. And I was like, 
it's an adventure of a lifetime. <laughs> and the town lost it. Wow, okay. <laughs> Absolutely lost it. And that was some pretty sharp thinking. Derek, yeah, straight away. And, and Derek was crying, man. It was like, I, I, and he was filming it. It was like, everyone thinks this is going very well. I was like, oh man, it was an adventure of a lifetime. And everyone just lost their mind, man. It was so funny. But that's cool. So great. basically yeah. what you're saying is anytime I need a stunt double if you need or a, a If you need me to step in. Paul, um, give you a call. Yeah, I mean, I, c I can play lead, but I can't play bass. So, I reckon we could figure it out. Yeah, we can out. pick it up. I'd actually like a jam sometime, if you fancy it. I'd love to... We could do that. Tinker around we could, sometime. We could tinker. Next time, I, next time I stop by the, the car bar. Yeah, you're always let's welcome. Just, let's just have a tinker at some point. So. 100%. Anyway, thank you so much for coming down. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Um, it's been great. Can't we'll wait to do hear it the again. album. Looking forward to that. Uh, go and check out Road Rat. I imagine at this stage, the majority of people watching this are petrol heads. So you got to check out Road Rat. It's a beautiful yeah. thing and there's lots more. I think people will like so, it. Yeah. Very cool. Thanks very much. Thanks, James. See you soon. See you soon.